High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, class cutters, hall monitors, back gate kids, and teacher's pets. Oh, and an extra special shout out to my friends in shop class. This is a summer school edition of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my house this evening. But first, your homework assignment. Summer school homework. Is there anything worse. <laughs> but hopefully not here. Did you watch Class of 1984? I'm curious what you thought. I don't think we've done a film like this yet with its uh, gratuity, I guess, and its violence. But, you know, it also has merit too. It's a well-made film. On the slumber party here, I like to read the back of the VHS cover. So don't worry. For today, if you didn't do your homework, consider yourself saved. I'm about to read you the cliff notes. <clears throat> Let me see... One of the most violent films of all time, Class of 1984, a brutal portrait of a tyrannical gang of school bullies who stop at nothing short of murder in their savage victimization of music teacher Andy Norris and all his nearest and dearest. The Peter Stegman gang, comprising of Patsy Fallon, Barnyard, and Drugstore, are out to carve an incredible, scar, indelible scar on the face of modern history. In practicing for adulthood, they deal drugs, limbering up for leadership. They're, they wield power and threats of rape, death, and mutilation. They say that represents our future. Well, who's going to argue? Sorry, the picture of the VHS back was a little hard to read. Wow, I mean, this back of the DVD's not really, like... Yes, it is a violent film, but like they name all the gang members, and I didn't even catch their names when I was watching this film. But definitely, you know, you get a sense of it. Consider yourself warned if you haven't seen it yet and you want to pause and watch the film. It is a violent film, but definitely worth a watch. That's the bell, and I can't keep you away from the meat of this episode that much longer. I'm sure you're waiting to hear Mike Manzi, Cage Club co-founder, co-creator, his take on this film, so pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother he's leaving over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Here's the theme to Class of 1984, I Am the Future by Alice Cooper. Class dismissed.
Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that because I didn't even know. I knew the movie existed, but I'd never seen it. But a sequel. I hear something weirder than there being a sequel to this. Sure. There's a so there's a the, the sequel's called Class of 1999, and then there's a sequel to that called Class of 99 Part Two. So <laughs> what do what do I do if I'm ever going to do this series on my show? Because it's is it a part? It's the third in the series, but it's a part two. It blows my mind. See, e- even like the Rambo mm-hmm. series of movies has the decency to. S- what is it? It's Rambo three. Uh, it's First Blood. Yeah. Then Rambo First Blood Part Two, and then Rambo three. Yeah, it doesn't say Rambo two. You know, it knows where it is. So that is weird. <laughs> Class in nineteen ninety nine. Have you seen the sequel? Oh yeah, twice. Um, I think I might have even seen it before this, which made me find out about this movie that there was something before that. Same director. Is it a real sequel or just like a spiritual sequel with the same director? It's more of a spiritual sequel. Yeah, not none of the same character. Although this has Roddy McDowell, who I want to talk about in depth later. Oh, I know one of your guys. <laughs> the sequel has Malcolm McDowell. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and Yeah, so I mean, it's got... <laughs> what's that about? I don't know. <laughs> so Michael Manzi, Cage Club co-founder, host of many, many shows on the network, a man who needs no introduction, but this is High School Slumber Party. You're on a slumber party now. Awesome. So I know what to do. You've been on the show before. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should know what to do. So yep. introduce yourself. Mike Manzi, RHS, class of 97. Go Maroons. Go Maroons. Still trying to figure out what a maroon is. Like, I remember <laughs> uh, that used to be like an insult in cartoons. Like, Bugs Bunny used to call people, you're such a maroon. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like an old-fashioned term. I know if you, like, maroon somebody on an island, like, you just leave them <laughs> leave them there. I don't know if that's related. Oh, did you feel stranded in high school? Like, is that a, that would have been a perfect <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> oh, it would have, though. Not really applicable to this film or my life. I'd, I wish I was more marooned. Well, maybe at times. I think we all feel marooned at times. From time to time. Yes. I doubt Ridgewood named their mascot after that concept. No, I though. think it was more of, like, the color. Everything was maroon in that story. Like, <laughs> I never saw a mascot. I think it was like a confederate. No, sorry. I think it was like a, I think it was a revolutionary soldier, but I'm not positive. Oh. I'm not like a hmm. rebel or something, but I'm not sure. That's interesting. I can't remember. So I used to do track, and we used to run at Ridgewood, and it was really annoying because the track at that high school is slightly smaller than the average track, or like the, oh. the standardized track. Oh, so it was like psychological. You ran the same distance, but it felt like you were running slightly a little bit longer. Weird. That's... Random Ridgewood fact. That's all I remember from high school. <laughs> so class of 1984, today's film. Yeah. Your choice. Mm-hmm. What was the first time you saw this film? And what made you decide to choose class of 1984? Um, okay, so I think I mentioned I might have seen the class of 1999 first, which is a very different type of movie. I mean different but the same uh and that made me sort of discover i guess i discovered this 
that way? Like, I definitely saw this second. Well, okay, so what really drew, drew me to this movie first is it actually all comes down to a single song, and it's a song that plays in this movie by a band called Teenage Head. And at one point, Marky Ramone, uh, was it Marky? I think it was Marky. Uh, and so I knew of them through the Ramones, and they sang a song, uh, Ain't Got No Sense, which is in this movie. And mm. I loved that song in high school, like being a punk rocker. And there was a band called Screeching Weasel that covered that song on one of their albums. And um, like I knew that song was in this movie, and I tried to like seek this film out. But at the time, you know, it was only available on VHS in the 90s, and it was kind of hard to find. And one night it actually came on cable, like on Stars or something. And I wasn't like quick enough to tape it or anything, but I watched the entire movie that night, and I finally got to see it. And that was the first time I saw it. And I guess it came out on DVD in like 2005 or six or something in some kind of like cult fiction series of cult movies i guess when grindhouse came out like all these old uh, movies like exploitation films oh that makes sense like re-release yeah. so, like road games is another movie with like jamie lee curtis is on that label um and so i got the movie then i owned it for the first time and you know watched it a few times since then i think this is maybe like my fourth or fifth viewing of it in its entirety so I'm not like, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the movie, but it's not like I know it back and forth and sideways, um, but I, I like to watch it. Not a, not a lot of scholarship on this film. I mean, I'm someone who's not familiar with these like grindhouse kind of like 70s, 80s exploitative films. So this is, I'd heard of it, but only like in passing. And so it, w it was definitely a real treat to see this time. You mentioned uh, the whole punk thing. This is a very punk movie. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the punk kids are like the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there's like one major detail about them that like separates them apart. That like why it's okay to root against them, I feel. And it's their um, obsession with like Nazi imagery and that kind of that side. Yeah, you know, they, like they that seem to be neo Nazis. Right, they're neo Nazi punks. So, like, that's <laughs> why they're evil. But, like, take that away and, like, they're pretty much <laughs> just normal kids. Like, that, yeah, that kind of like kids that I knew some kids like this, minus, you know, all that Nazi bullshit. I hope, I hope. <laughs> well, that's so, the weird I, thing is that, like, there were kids that were like, called working class skinheads that I knew like they were skinheads but they were not white power kids or anything you know it was more in like the old English tradition I guess of just being a working class guy like I don't know one of my really close friends brother was that but he wasn't like a racist or anything so it's just very there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of complex sort of social things going on within the punk like scene you know that's just hard to I don't know, translate properly? So it's, No, yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah, so like you see a skinhead in this movie, but like obviously they had to slap a swastika on his vest. And stuff. <laughs> he couldn't just be, you know. So anyone who listened to you, and Kyle was also the guest that day, but you on Better Off Dead, talk about your high school time. I mean, anyone who's known you, who I've talked about, they were like, wow, I didn't know Mike Manzi was such a 
90s punk like <laughs> i was i was surprised too i mean i, I didn't know and and so i, I was excited to learn that mm-hmm. um you recently enlightened me by sending one of your songs yeah <laughs> so I, I heard it today i'd love to hear it we're gonna play it here because i think it's a, it's only a it's mi- appropriate for this it's only a minute yeah. long so <laughs> we'll play the whole song <laughs> yes we're gonna play front to back one minute and it's it's I don't know. I don't know what to name this segment yet. Okay. But I feel like I looked at the list of movies you picked, and not all of them, but a lot of them have kind of like punk rock tones, Mm -hmm. you know? So this might be a recurring segment where if you have enough of these songs, we play a song, we talk about it. Kind of like the Mike Manzi Manzi Garage Band kind of thing, you know? So. That's why I only sent one, because I thought maybe I could dole them out over appearances and stuff. For sure. So so just for people who did not listen to Better Off Dead, and if you didn't, you okay. didn't do your homework, very bad, go back and listen to it. But if you haven't, um, you were in a band in high school, correct? Correct. I was the drummer in a band, and, and a co-songwriter. So What was the name of the band? It was called My Five Dads. I love that name, My <laughs> Five Dads. Originally, there were five of us, too. We had uh, one friend was playing keyboards, you know, because um, like it totally fit. But after a while, he just didn't have the time to keep going. And then we broke up pretty quickly. So <laughs> but we managed to record a couple like basement demo tapes. So this particular track you sent me, introduce it for us. Okay. Okay. So like most of our songs... We've only had like I think eight or eight to ten or something complete songs, but they were mostly about fast food and aliens and you know like <laughs> trying to get laid because high school. So, high school. And, and it's funny I listened to the American Pie episode with Kyle Part One recently, and uh, like I saw that in theaters. Like that was totally like you know those were I knew kids just like Jason Biggs in high school. Like, definitely, definitely. <laughs> See, see, with American Pie, that makes it like interesting because it's like you watch it now, you're like, oh god, this, you know, this is a little bit problematic. Mm-hmm. But then life was problematic. <laughs> yes, like that existed, so it's like a little weird to talk about because it's just. Okay, I I mentioned it. I forgot it was in part one or part two, but like I was a guy like that in terms of like the, really quickly. There's just a scene where scene where like Stifler's like humping the air after one of the girls talks to Oz, mm-hmm. and I was like I would do that to my friends all the time, and like I wouldn't do that now, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so regardless, back to punk yes. rock. Okay, so I remember you know like as a group of friends, we eventually sort of evolved into a band, uh, and we would practice mainly on the weekends, you know, sometimes after school, but I knew, like, every Sunday night we would get together, practice, and watch The Simpsons, and order just, like, (laughs) way too much Chinese food, and just fucking feast afterwards, you know? And eventually that led to this song, which is called Chinese Food is Really Good. And, yeah, I mean, it's really... (laughs) Oh, that's the name, yes. I mean, there's references, like, we were big fans of Yang Can Cook, so there's lots of that in there, and there's, (laughs) you know, it's just jam-packed with, you know, our types of sense of humor and stuff, so, and we were really big fans of the fast, like, the quick songs, or the short, not quick, but, like, the short song um, was sort of like an art form, and we tried to, like, really perfect that with our music, like, I was always envious of the Ramones because I would hear they would play like 22 minute sets and it would be like, you know, 30 songs or something crazy. That's crazy. Not necessarily, but you know, they were legendary for playing so fast. So we tried to like 
be that type of band basically it's like be like a, a fast band uh, so are you ready for this let's play it i'm ready i don't know if you are <laughs> That was definitely an experience. I, I like that. How did you... Obviously, you didn't have the MP3 of it. Like, what did you have to do? So, I have the only existing copy of our recording, and it's a it's a cassette tape. It's a cassette tape um, that we just put oh, nice. in a boombox in the middle of the room and recorded, which is why it kind of sounds really crappy. But, but punk. Yeah, but punk. exactly. Like, I mean, you can't pay for that kind of production. You know, the guy would totally <laughs> fix it and make it sound way too nice. So what I had to do was um, I I only have like a, um, a Walkman. Like I have a Walkman sitting here. I don't have like a tape deck, but I have a Walkman. So I hooked my Walkman up to my audio, my digital audio recorder that I use for like rec- recording, you know, audio in real life, like for film and stuff Oh, I, and yeah. created an MP3 out of the cassette tape and then just chopped it up on the computer and tweaked it a little bit, just like raised the volume a little bit just so, you know, it wasn't quite so muffled, but yeah. Cool. I mean, you know, <laughs> that, hold on. First of all, that was recorded in 1996. Wow. And it hasn't, the last time I played that was for my roommate's girlfriend in 2011 <laughs> and it's been sitting in my, you know, dresser, basically, just, you know, moving around with me, just, you know, waiting to be heard. So that's some... Well, you got a platform exclusive now. Exclusive music. <laughs> you got a platform now. This is this is a segment that's going to continue. People are going to enjoy this. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a My Five Dads reunion tour. <laughs> Question for you. Yeah. Are any of the five dads currently a dad? Okay. Um... I know, I know one of them for a fact. <laughs> Only because I lost touch. I lost touch with our bass player. Um, I don't think they listen, but I, they have. My friend said some pretty interesting names. So, like, I'll just. I had a friend named Greg, who's a, just a Greg. He was. He's one. Of my <laughs> but uh, I had a friend Augie, which is a pretty cool nice. name. August. I had a friend Seamus, which I thought was Seamus. Cool. Yeah, he's still a close That's friend. That's punk. Um, and he's the dad he's a dad (laughs) and then there was me and then i guess the uh proverbial fifth dad was my friend rick but um yeah so you know um one of them at least one dad then yeah Yeah. (laughs) nice okay back to the punk of 1984 i guess i'll ask you this did you enjoy that alice cooper song (laughs) when does a dream become (laughs) a nightmare (laughs) 
<laughs> so I didn't know Alice Cooper wasn't like Devil Rock all the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't. Oh, no, I know. He's not just like feed my Frankenstein and and schools out and stuff like he's really eclectic. Like he's an interesting dude that I don't know a lot about. Uh, well, apparently Alice Cooper was the band. Like it was called Alice Cooper. Yeah, right. But then the the lead singer like spun off and called himself Alice Cooper. Cool. Like as like, smart. And then that's when he started making like the feed my Frankenstein mm-hmm. like kind of music. So yeah. so I think this is like pre that. The guy I am aware of, though, is uh, the composer uh, Lalo Schifrin, who does the score to this movie, and I think collaborated on this song with Alice Cooper. Like, this dude is legendary. He, he created the, oh, really? the Mission Impossible theme. Oh, wow. Uh, I really love the soundtrack to Enter the Dragon, which he did. He composed. Yes. So he's, like, when I was DJing, I really got deep into his work his body of work his type of jazz and like his way of sound is really awesome yeah no i mean enlightening us this is a very musical episode today i love it <laughs> so class of 1984 75 percent critic on rotten tomatoes but i don't know if i should really count that it's got like 13 reviews ever according to this aggregate really it's not a very reviewed film i always thought this was a very popular movie apparently it was featured a lot in well it was banned in a lot of places a lot of theaters wouldn't show it i could see but apparently it was featured a lot as a double feature either before or after mad max 2 it's definitely got it's probably its reputation you know what i'm saying like it's got this reputation like um it seems like i don't know it's way more intense than i remembered it and i had just watched it like six years ago you know and i was just like whoa yeah this this is intense film heavy shit going on here i guess i could understand that like you know maybe it not playing long or well or whatever it's definitely like a genre that you don't see today and when you only time you see it today is again like you said like tarantino robert rodriguez trying to glorify the era rather than actually like a film like this well this kind of reminds me of um there's there's this is just (laughs) i don't know like I, I watched an interview with the director on my DVD, and, and it's funny, I was thinking of the same thing you mentioned. Like, back in, like, the 50s and 60s, there were just, like, those movies about juvenile delinquency, you know? There's, like, Blackboard Jungle and stuff, and there's just, like, James Dean, and just, you know, like, rock and roll was corrupting the youth. And, and I almost see this as the modern version of that. The the new music is punk rock, and therefore it's corrupting the teens, and even worse, and they're lashing out even harder, and the school system is failing even more, and you know, around this time too, I think or a few years later, there's that movie Lean on Me, with Morgan Friedman, where yeah. he's like the teacher in Patterson, and it's almost like the black version of this movie. You know, they're <laughs> almost like cousins of... of types of movies that they are and what they're trying to say about um like the american youth yeah that one's certainly a little bit more grounded than this one yeah this is almost science fiction at times i feel like social sci-fi yeah or something though it, it is a misleading title if no one's you're not getting like the high school version of george orwell's 1984 no like some people might think you know it's just that's funny though <laughs> you know for all the talk i have i've been all the shit I've been talking about this movie, I never even put that together. The idea of Orwell's 84 in the title of this. I just figured this was written in 1980 and the graduating class would be 1984 
or something, you know? Like, I don't know. That never occurred to me, but that's, yeah. I don't know. I, I just think, like, 1984, buzzy year because of the book. Mm-hmm. And, but again, nothing to do with that. Not nothing, you know, society, but, you know, <laughs> but nothing really to do with it. Well, this is dystopian, like, for sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, that, like, it, it pretty much ends there. You mentioned a director, Mark L. Lester. I looked up his career. He seems to have a lot of these, like, type of films. Yeah, I knew... I knew his movies. I didn't know he directed some of them, though. Like I, I knew Firestarter with uh, Oh yeah, yeah Barrymore, yeah. Um, and I know I, I'm very familiar with Commando with Schwarzenegger. Like I saw that when I yeah. was really too young, and that's <laughs> just a favorite. So Commando, though, uh, is is I was kind of surprised when I saw he directed Commando. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, <laughs> no, me too. I think he got the gig from his directing action in this movie. You know, like, I think he's got a good understanding of film language, you know, like when to move oh, the yeah, camera no, for and sure. how to move it and all that kind of thing. And yeah, I think he's a good director, but he's definitely way more into, I feel like, exploitation or stuff like that, which is fine, which he's good at. Yeah, that that's his genre. So the cast here, uh, Perry King is a star. Did you even know this guy? Or No, not, not at all. Um, he's really good, though. It's Yeah, I don't, he's really good. Like I was watching some of the behind the scenes, and there's an interview with him, and apparently he was, has, had been acting for a really long time with like lots of really prestigious sort of old old school the old guard i think he referred to them as you know and like <laughs> um yeah he's he's so great in this like i i am right i'm on his side like from the first minute he shows up basically he's just like sticks out like a sore thumb. yeah he's he plays uh they don't really say a lot of names in this i think it's a mr norris a mr norris yeah yeah and he plays mr norris and he's so like you're right from moment one you know he's in way over his head, but you're still rooting for him. Like he's not like he doesn't come off like a dork or something, you know. He yeah. just comes off as like genuinely wanting to like teach these kids in this crazy ass high school. Well, he's like an optimist and like an idealist, and like genuinely feels like he's gonna break through to these kids. Like again, like I'm I'm starting to think of like higher learning with <laughs> you know <laughs> and then this is leading me to one of my all time favorite comedies that I feel is like very underrated, which is a full on spoof of these types of films, which is Hamlet Two with Steve Coogan. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Where he, yeah, they put on a play to sort of reform the bad students. But I mean, yeah, like you know, this guy is out, like, he really is a genuine guy who really thinks that, like, yeah, you should follow the rules, and, like, everyone will, because they're rules, and, you know, like, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, like, the rules make us better learners, but he's not, like, corny, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, like, I'm, I'm on his side, is the point. Mm-hmm. Well, he's outnumbered right from the start. For sure. For sure. Before we get into like some of the the big name, I know you want to talk about just like uh, most of these actors I'd never heard of, and they don't have much of a career besides this, which I guess is is you know something for the genre is famous for. But uh, Timothy Van Patten is plays like the main punk guy, and I thought he was really good too. Stegman, yeah, dude is like a prototype for Brad Pitt almost in some ways. I feel like he's just really sort of dashing and striking and like he's got this charisma but 
he also comes across as like extremely dangerous but i don't know it, it again it's like that um rebel without a cause type of james dean character yeah. but just yeah. ranked up to like 20 you know just like over the limit like they broke the knob off or something but it's totally believable like in this somewhat absurd world that like his character is really believable and he plays it so well like he seems like a guy who would have a little bit of a following or a little bit of a mm-hmm. a little bit of a like a click you know, and and maybe garner a lot of shady power that way. Yeah, yeah. He's the leader, definitely, of not just his crew, but it seems like like everybody in town. Like, there's a scene later where he's almost like the Godfather. Like, he's at a club, and backstage, he has a little office where he does his business and everything like that. Like, this kid, like they're all juveniles, but they're on an adult level, like the way they're operating, like the way that they're working the system. Yeah, because they're high school, yeah, covered in graffiti, like just completely lawless. It, it's like a jungle, and you you know you grow up fast if you have to survive in that in that atmosphere, and then like the social structure builds like that. That was kind of stuff that I really liked. Um, we should mention a very young, pudgy faced. Michael J. Fox is in this film. <laughs> Minus the J. Yes, just Michael Fox. Yeah. And he's so he's so natural. Like he's even there's even one scene where he's got this huge pimple on his face. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, because he's just like a fifteen year old kid like back then. It's crazy. Can you believe he was actually twenty two when they filmed this? No shit. <laughs> yeah, he, really? he was one of the oldest How old actors. Is he now? I don't know, but he was one what of the is he like sixty five Maybe. He's one of the wow, oldest actors in the film. <laughs> he is one of like the youngest looking dudes forever. Like he's totally got that vampire syndrome where he just <laughs> looks super young, you know? Like, I don't know. That's crazy to me. Like Marty McFly must have been thirty. Think about it. Like, yeah, honestly. <laughs> no. He is such a baby face, like in this film. It, it's so funny. So I saw Michael Fox roll over the credits mm-hmm. and and I was like, Oh, I guess that's why Michael J. Fox had to be Michael J. Fox, because Michael Fox had already taken his name. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that Michael J. Fox? <laughs> yeah, that's that's and you know this movie was shot in Canada and he's Canadian, so he was like kind of this was his first film. I think this might have been the first thing he ever did. It uh, seems yeah, before, before Family Ties. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was maybe nine eighty four or five or something like because this thing came out in eighty one or something. When did uh, I see eighty two? Eighty two. Okay, yeah. So not eighty four. No, no, no. Yeah, because I think 84 was more nod to 1984, the book. And yeah, my DVD says 81, but regardless, I think it was, hmm. yeah, like even if it's just five years later or something. Gotcha. Oh, okay, I guess it was it was released. I'm reading now. Was, 81 was like a limited release and 82 was the wide release. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the other people in this, I'm reading now, they're mostly just like unknown Canadian actors. So you hit the nail on the head with the Canadian thing. Michael J. Fox might have been an unknown Canadian actor. If he hadn't, like, broken through from it. I mean, he's still good. You could tell why he, like, became famous. I know he he plays, a, like, that, you know, nerdy kid Arthur, but he's still, like, he does it well, you know? Well, he's, like, the third lead, or fourth lead, really. He's, like, the second main kid. He's, like, the leader of the good kids, in mm-hmm. a way. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. in the, he he's the opposite of the Van Patten guy, who's, I think his name is Peter, the evil kid. So it's like yeah, Peter Norris versus Peter. So um, he's like the good version of Peter. I think he really, you know, he doesn't have much 
time to do stuff, and he really does what he has to be. Yeah. You know? I would say him and the girl with the short hair um, are, like, the leaders of the good kids. For sure. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. All right. The man. Your man right here. (laughs) Someone you've studied extensively. Roddy McDowell is in this film. Sans. Sans makeup and such. It's crazy because I don't know when it started, but, like, all my life, like, I just considered him to be one of the, just, like, the best actors ever. <laughs> really? Because he was just in everything I loved. So, like, growing up, I was just a huge sci-fi fan. So, you know, I saw Planet of the Apes when I was, like, 12 or 13, and it's pretty much been my favorite movie ever since. And he's Cornelius in that, so, like, I love him in that. But even when I was younger, he was in a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes, like, mm-hmm. some of the best Twilight Zone episodes and I knew him from those. And then Fright Night was pretty large for me when I was a kid, too. And I knew him from that. And, like, he would just start popping up. And I'd just be like, why isn't he, like, winning Oscars? Like, why isn't he, you know, why isn't he in these other movies I like? Like, I don't know. I just didn't understand why he wasn't, like, a marquee get because I was a dumb kid. You know, I didn't understand how Hollywood worked or anything. But I just knew that, like, ah, oh, this is a guy that I really love. I love every time he's on screen, what he does and how, you know, the way he does it and everything. So, yeah, I just have to geek out over him. <laughs> uh, good morning, Dr. Zayas. You uh, know my uh, Dr. Cornelius, my fiancé? Of course, the young ape with a shovel. I hear you're planning another archaeological expedition. With the Academy's approval, sir. The project will require my support, of course. I hope I may count on it, sir. Cornelius, a friendly warning. As you dig for artifacts, be sure you don't bury your reputation. Just quick Cornelius thing. Like, he was so ahead of his time with that. You know, like, to make that... To make Cornelius so, like, relatable is just amazing. No, Roddy McDowell is an awesome actor. I think it was his uh, I think it was his idea to do if you watch the original Planet of the Apes, like that makeup is incredible and it does what it needs to do, but like he I think the story goes like he started doing this twitch with his nose and stuff to try and give it just more sort of motion or movement or character uh. and the director was like keep doing that and then he's telling other people to start doing it too because it just made it move and feel like it was breathing more. So really managed to figure out how to like work through like all that makeup and everything are you a fan of the poseidon adventure so funny enough i'd never seen the entire poseidon adventure wow. as, big a fan as i am with him <laughs> i mean you know i know well what, you know there's holes in everybody's lists i guess but <laughs> what can you do um, a big omission in yours. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I always considered that more of a Gene Hackman film, I guess. I <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course, of course. So Roddy McDowell plays uh, Terry Corrigan. He just, he's what is he, the science teacher? Yeah, he's the science teacher who's an alcoholic, and in the opening credits, he has a gun in his briefcase. He's bringing a gun to school. Oh. We can have any number of X chromosomes in any species, but it is only with the addition of the Y that we get the male. Excuse me. Excuse me. Let me turn. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm calling on the police to handle this one. No, let Mr. Norris talk to him first. There are students in there. Yes, and that is Terry Corrigan. That's not a maniac killer. Let me have a chance. Come on, he's my friend. I'll back him up. Hi, Jerry. You, you shouldn't be in here, Andrew. What are you doing? I 
teaching. Can't you see that? You, uh, tell us the factor for the female of the species. Stand up when the teacher talks to you. Wait a minute, Jerry. No. Andrew. I don't come into your class and tell you how to teach now. What is the answer, please? Well, you simply cannot afford to fail this class. Now, what is the answer? <gasps> what is the answer? Uh, please. Uh, uh, why? Why? <laughs> you see how simple it is? <laughs> oh, he has never, never answered a question in this class. I'm finally teaching him. Oh, tell me How many chambers are there in the human heart? <laughs> Four. I, th I think four. Opening credits, Alice Cooper song, and that to me sets the tone of this film. You just see the briefcase and the gun inside. And the flask. <laughs> and the flask, yeah. It's like, okay, this is what we're in for. Y you know what I like about this film? Like, it's it's a slow build to the madness. You know, okay, okay. It's a crazy environment throughout, mm -hmm. but it just keeps, like, inching closer to what ends up being the rampage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what it is? It's like the, um, it's a lot almost like, it's, I almost picture it like uh, he's the new doctor at a psych hospital and the nuts are running the asylum, you know? Like the patients have control of the hospital. For sure. Yeah. And there's very little that they can do, really. Like he pleads, you know, every other scene to like the principal, to a detective, <laughs> to someone. And there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you just have to wait until they turn 18. <laughs> no, I know. It, it, like, we see this in film a lot in terms of just fish out of water, thinking, like, naive enough to think that you can change the environment around you. But this guy, like, again, he just, he's so, it's such a good character that it, it, it makes sense and you, and you follow along. You know what I think it is, too? And I think, you know, not just at that time, but even today, we know people like we're way more we run into people like him more often on a daily basis like you know we're all pretty much sheltered from the like you know the bad kids in this movie right like you, really, <laughs> you know once you're an adult at least like you really got to kind of go seek out that kind of trouble whereas i feel like in high school it can come find you, you know, like a little bit easier or something so i don't know i think like we just instantly relate to him because yeah, like, none of us want to be in that situation, right? Like, you know, he's he's catching kids sneaking knives past the metal detectors, and the cop's like, oh, I, nothing I can do about that one. Like, we get as many as we can. <laughs> it's, it's just like right from the start, like, when those kids are in his room, and, uh, you know, Peter is like, fuck you, man. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, <laughs> dude, exactly. Like, I feel for this guy. Like, he's just... You know, he's just underexposed to how bad it can actually be, I guess, is the point. And I think part of that for me is, like, what's kind of, like, scary about this movie. Like, kind of like the horror edge to it when they when they start going, like, clockwork orange on him and, and terrorizing him and his wife and, and everything like that. It, it really builds to, like, this third act, which is 
almost like Death Wish. You know, he goes on, yes, he goes on a absolutely. revenge page. <laughs> and you're with him. You're like, yes, kill those fucking kids. I mean, this is this story now could seem a little bit absurd to some, but you watch film of that era, like late seventies, early eighties was a scary time for people. Like, and, the, and there's not, I think it might be called 1980 class of 1984. Cause again, it came out in 81, probably shot in 80. Like it wasn't inconceivable in 1980 to think things might get this bad in four years from now, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, look how bad it is today. Right. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about arming teachers and this movie addressed addressed that like 30 years ago. Look what would happen. Like the teacher, Roddy McDowell, holds his classic gunpoint, puts the gun, like goes from kid to kid, puts it to their temple and, and asks them a, like a question, you know, and, and if they don't get it right, you know what I mean? Like great scene, by the way, this movie is is a warning, like. I, th- I feel like it almost at times it's unfortunate about how gratuitous it gets because like if it was just toned down a little more, it could have been taken a bit more seriously, I think. No, absolutely. But again, I don't, I don't know if that's what it is going. I don't know. No, I mean, I, that was one thing I really had in my notes. Like this movie would rank so high on my list if I could rank it that high in terms of like, for example, you know, like when the girl just gets naked you know so oh yeah they're at the club in the back room i mentioned and he's like dealing business and the girl comes up to him and is like um i want drugs and i'll be a hooker to get them and he's like oh so you're a co-core she's like yeah um and he's (laughs) like okay get naked and she just straight up like strips right in front of them it's it's yeah pretty shocking (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and again i I tend to believe that that scene was just put in because, like, oh, let's see a naked girl. You know, it, does it make sense in the in the film? Yes, but it's like, well, it's kind of taking advantage of itself in a way. Like the movie knows it can get away with that because this is what it's about. You know, exploiting people and controlling people and domination, dominating people. Right? Like it's all a game between the student and the teacher. At least from the student, it's like you're not better than me. Like I'm better than you. You know, like. I'm your future. He keeps saying that, right? He's like, I'm the one that matters, not you. So yeah. I feel like this is just another moment of him imposing like that strength, like reasserting that strength, I guess. Yeah, but again, like the, there's the, it took me out of it a little bit. But it also it also has it's another sort of reveal for one of the gang members too. You find out that the girl in their gang might be like a lesbian because she's looking at this girl way more like she's like getting aroused by her way more than looking at any other guy in the movie. And, oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, no. Yeah. So I mean, I know what you're saying. Like the movie is just gratuitous all around. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised, though. See, the only reason I I give it to this movie at that moment is because there isn't another. Like, for instance, later on with the rape scene when the kids rape the wife, you don't see her naked, and it's not done in a in such a harsh, you know, it's not done as harsh as it could have been. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it's at least as tasteful as possible in that way. Otherwise, I feel like they'd be going for, you know, the skin factors. Yes, okay. I mean, yeah, as tasteful as a 
gang rape scene could be, I suppose. Well, you haven't you know? seen any Death Wish movies then, because those went... No, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, exactly. Like, it's weird to talk about this, because, like, if you haven't seen it, you might think we're crazy. No, but you're right, in a sense. Uh, it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they don't... They don't sexualize the rape if that makes sense like yeah it's not even about that right i mean it's about it's just it's about imposing it's about dominating the teacher it's that's you know that's all it's really about it's like oh this isn't your wife this is my wife like is basically i think what he's trying to say in that moment but yes it's very it's very strange to be talked about in a way this the fact that like that is the least sort of graphic scene in the movie where a kid does angel dust, climbs a flagpole, and then falls off draped in the American flag. Like, (laughs) there's a scene where the teacher, you know, cuts off one of the punk's arms in shop class with the buzzsaw and then throws him onto the buzzsaw. Like, there's some, you know, he lights a kid on fire. Like, there's some super crazy shit in this movie. Yeah, I mean, look, basically, uh, Peter... And the teacher, uh, what's his name, Mr. Morris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mr. Morris just, I have this little, you know, this little war. Like, Mr. Morris keeps trying to get Peter straight, essentially. Peter is not taking it. We find out, like, we find out later that he's, like, rich, you know? Mm-hmm. That he's not, like, some poor kid and, like, his mother kind of protects him. He has no dad. And, yeah, he has no dad. And it just goes bam, 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 bam to the level where, like, again, first he's, he burns, Peter burns his car. Then, like, they get into, like, the fake fight, you know, where Peter just, like... Oh, my God. That, so, we have to just stop and talk about that scene for a minute because... For sure, yeah. I just wonder... I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't remember how close Fight Club the book is to Fight Club the movie, but whoever wrote Fight Club, I think, saw that scene <laughs> because that is a total, you know, the narrator does that to himself in Fight You've seen Fight Club, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so, no, no, exactly. Yeah, there's the scene. So basically what happens is Peter beats himself up and blames um, the teacher. Wise, you should have done me right. Like this. <laughs> He tried to kill me. Yeah, the teacher and him are alone in the bathroom talking. Yeah, and he just... Or they should be. And, <laughs> and he slams his head into, like, all types of things, from from the uh, the mirror to the sink to the urinal. Like, he just beats the shit out of himself. And then the cops come in and is like, look what he did to me, man. I was like, oh, my God, that's that's straight out of Fight Club. Like, almost... It really was, yeah. Wild. For sure. That also looked really good, too. Yes, I don't know if he actually like hit his head into these things, but it certainly like looked like it. I, I really doubt it, but that was an awesome scene. Every everything in this movie looks like it all tricked me. Like when Roddy McDowell is trying to mow them down on the street, like oh it, god, yeah. I think he was really driving that car, and I think he was really trying to get out some aggression on these kids. Yeah, yeah. I read, I read that he he there was no stunt driver; that he actually was the one driving the car. I mean, it seems like it was kind of a wild set. Um, the director said during <laughs> the uh, during like the club scene, like th- that was a real club; those were all real kids, and it really got out of hand at one point, and they just had to be like, okay, we got enough for the day; like, let's call it a night, <laughs> like before anyone really gets hurt here. Because that's actually the band, Teenage Head, right? Yep. Get up!
Yeah, so, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I always love that. You got to just keep track of that, like the way that that's like, a huge thing. Dude, it's a huge it's thing enormous. in these films. Like not only not only just real bands showing up in teenage movies, but but like crafted fake bands that are made just for the film and stuff. <laughs> like that's even cooler. <laughs> I'm gonna. I have to look back, but I think so far, at least the episodes I've recorded, only one of the films did not have a live music scene. Hmm. That's just like a this, which was the Outsiders. That's like just a trope of this genre, which I'm not complaining. You know, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. I feel like you know I can understand why it's not in the Outsiders. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but yeah, otherwise because they didn't even go to high school. What are you doing that movie for? <laughs> they were in high school. It was controversial pick, but yes, they were in high school. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking great cast in that movie yes it honestly like i didn't remember if we had a high school scene in it or not you know i'd already signed someone up for, to do it and i did it and i was just like you know what look the guys are wearing the socias are wearing varsity jackets they're talking about being in classes with each yeah, other yeah. i'm counting it and <laughs> i know it's controversial but whatever it's not no well i mean you know like fight me like pony boy should be in high school right like it's like he's a dro- <laughs> like they're dropouts and shit so it's cool no. yeah well apparently he's still in school a couple of the characters still in school according to the film you know so tom cruise and his chocolate cake that's all i can think of that yeah great i mean great cast but Back to 84 here. Another one of the pranks, and I think this is what inspires the gun. I don't. I, I shouldn't call them pranks. They're actually really bad things. But when they kill all the animals in yeah. the lab. Okay, Ugh. so okay, so brief story. Nothing this terrible by any means. Okay. Okay. But, okay. I mean, <laughs> there. I just have to because I always. I was never really great at science, but I always liked science class, and I had some great science teachers and they always just try to make everything fun and have a good time while learning and stuff and (laughs) i just remember like we used to have i think it was junior year no senior year we had like these i don't know these things in the back of the room with like frogs in them and stuff and like you know atriums and all that kind of thing with like biodomes and there were frogs and all that kind of shit and stuff and (laughs) one day uh, the teacher came into class and just was like about to cry and hung her head and said, oh. the frogs are all dead. Oh no. And it was like someone like fucked with everything and, you know. Like, A person sab- did it? Yeah. Like someone sabotaged it and shit and everything. And like, it was, uh, man, it was, I felt bad for her, <laughs> but it wasn't my class. Like I had nothing to do with it, but she came in and was just like, someone messed up, killed all the frogs. It was crazy. You know, it's nothing to the magnitude of this scene, but I definitely felt for her that day. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, who would, I, I hope that person does not like rich and fancy right now and like enjoying their life. That's like, (laughs) I hope that haunts them till this day. Yeah, I don't know. It was very strange. I mean, if I could tell just this this is this is a light. I guess this is this is still kind of like dark, but it's a little no one got hurt. Like there are no casualties, like no deaths involved, but like I just like just weird things that happened with teachers senior year. It was weird. Um our <laughs> history teacher, this guy, I love the guy, but like he had a bad sort of like reputation for being a bad teacher, but I liked him. He got <laughs> he his wife left him when we were seniors. And oh, no. he came in to school 
and told each of his classes that his wife left him. Oh and, like, my god! And, and like left, and he so he would like come into the beginning of class and be like, "I'm gonna be taking some time." Like my wife left me. Like I'll you know I'll be in touch or whatever. And he'd like leave the room, and then but then he would come back for the next class and tell to tell the class, and then just leave the room again. What? <laughs> oh my god! So like that day, like I went with my friend Greg. Oh, was like, so Did you hear about Mr. Domville? I was like, Yeah, it was crazy. He's like, Yeah, he came into class and then left. I was like, But he came into our class and said that too, and like walked out. So I don't know how many classes he did that to, but it was yeah. Oh my god! I think so he sad. I think he got over it because I remember when we graduated, he showed up with like his Harley, like revving his engine. Oh everything. boy! Oh boy! Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, compensating. I don't, that no offense. I know you like that teacher, but he would not have survived this high school and oh, class no of nineteen eighty four. Not many do, but but still, that's that's so tough. Again, so this film builds, 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 and you said, you know, we said it before, there's, ends up being that, well, the whole thing, right, is he's trying to get his crappy band class to become, like, a symphony. thing is he teaches <laughs> music like he's not the english teacher he's not you know like that blew my mind the most like when i you know when i was watching it like even this time i was like that's right like that's just so strange like to pick that yeah but it makes i mean the music is a big theme in this in this film um so it's interesting. Like it, it, it is really interesting. And I know, like whatever they they kind of suck. They play like a really crappy version of Moon River at the beginning. <laughs> Are you gonna do Mr. Holland's Opus? Like that's all I can think of now is Mr. Holland's hey, Opus. It's on the list. It's <laughs> on the list. <laughs> so it it eventually builds right like to where he's got this this like young orchestra playing pretty well, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, we have this big competition to the point where okay, so his wife is like really creeped out by all this crap. She's pregnant. Mm-hmm. The wife element was a little bit like she was kind of a one dimensional character. The wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very. Cliche. <laughs> I actually, you know, I'm surprised she lasted like till the end. To be honest with you, like I definitely <laughs> recall him flipping out a lot earlier. Yeah, yeah, so she's like, "Oh, I'm going to my parents cuz I don't want the baby around this." And he's like, "Just just stay to my the I play my symphony thing." But but earlier he was he was like, "You should go to your mom's house or something." She's like, "No, nah, I'll be fine." And then she's like, "I think I'm going to go to my mom's house." And he's like, "I told you, but like now I want you to stay for my recital." <laughs> yeah, true. Like, yeah, what? I forgot he mentions that to her. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she stays and why it's kind of like jarring because like while he's about to conduct his his orchestra his teenage orchestra he gets a note mm-hmm. or it's a picture right it's a it's picture a polaroid yeah it's a polaroid and it's like of the uh, on punk top gang. of his wife yeah yes raping his wife and of course 
rightfully so. This is where the you know the big rampage begins. But the short-haired girl ends up conducting the orchestra, so that that thing is is solved. It doesn't like it's not like they bomb or something, but that that becomes very secondary to the rampage. Well, it ends on quite a note, but up, up until then, I'm sure. It's funny how that paid off too, because like right uh, in the beginning, he's like, "I want to get to know you all," and. And she's like, you know, sometimes I conduct and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and like at the end, she ends up conducting. I was like, holy shit! Like, so it's not like out of nowhere. It's not like silly. That's what this movie is actually like for what it is. Pretty well written, dude. My okay. So I think my favorite scene, and it's so sharp, it's so good. Is uh, it's like day three or four, or no, day two or so? Because I was trying to keep track. We only see like about five or six school days, but I figured mm. he lasted about a month. I, I guess they got this shit together for in like a semester. So what's that, like two months, two and a half months? I don't know. It's been a while. But my favorite scene, I think, is when um, he gets to class and uh, Peter's behind the piano and he starts just like banging away at the piano. Yes. The class begins at 10 o'clock sharp, Mr. Stegman. I don't want you in this class. I don't care where you go or what you do. I'll mark your present and give you an incomplete, but I want you to take your friends and go back to wherever you came from. Ivory Joe from Kokomo. And he's like, blam, blam, blam. He's like, get the fuck out of here. And then he starts playing like the most beautiful melody. <laughs> he's just like, you know, he's like an expert. Like he's amazing at piano. Like this kid is a savant almost or something. And he's like, where'd you learn that? And he's like, do I get the fucking job, teach? And he's like, no. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> He's like, yeah. maybe when you grow up. And he's like, I'm going to be in your fucking band, man. I was like, holy shit. Like, that is so perfect because you want to just be like, yeah, come be in the band. Like, I, everything is like forgiven. You're an amazing piano player. But he's still trying to teach in that moment. You know, it's like, yeah, it's not enough it, that you have the skill. You don't have the attitude to be here. I was like, oh. It makes the character so much, so have so many more dimensions. Because I thought he was going to say yes, too. And like, like, you know what that feels like? That feels like Kirk and Khan for some reason to me. Like, <laughs> like playing chess with each other, like, like laying it all out on the table. Like, the kid is like 
these are my skills. Like, you can't deny these skills. And then the teacher's like, well, here are my skills. And they are skills of denying people and stuff. And, like, you know, it, it's amazing. Yeah, or, or I think more like integrity, you know. Yeah, more like, it. it doesn't matter how good you are if you don't play by the rules here. and Because he doesn't see teaching as just, I'm teaching these kids music. He's trying to make them better people. Yeah, in he this tells, environment he, of bad people. <laughs> he tells his wife, he tells Roddy McDowell, and like he even tells the detective, he's like, I'm not just like, you know, teaching for me doesn't just end when the bell rings. He's like, I want to, you know, change their lives and like be an actual influence and like something, yeah, I want to actually change them. Uh, and there's like a couple incidents when like he tries to get involved after school and things don't go so well. <laughs> people get stabbed because of him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so again, just the end with the rampage. What I love about it is how it focus on, focuses on every single character in that gang. Yeah. Like, like the, it's almost like a video game, right? Like, they each become like, they're like bosses, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I like you mentioned, what was it? was the saw, the person who gets sawed. Yeah, so... I never took shop class. Well, I, I think in middle school it was required, but by the time you got to high school and you can choose your electives, I didn't I didn't do shop. Um, but that scene is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How what is how do the other people die besides like the main guy? So then they go. I did. I was in. Um, I did have like auto shop. I wasn't that. That was next. Yes. That, that's the most of them go out there. Yes. Um, he puts like the. Was he put on the floor like um, paint thinner or something all over the yeah, floor? Yeah, something takes flammable. That torch. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! What a, what a scene again! Like what a rampage! <laughs> like the kid basically takes one step into the shop and he's like, "I'm gonna light you on fire!" And he's like, "No, you're not!" And he's like, and "He just lights the kid up." Yeah, he lights that kid up, and then what happens with, with okay, the girl? Okay, so then so then the fatter kid comes in. Oh yeah, the and he just. He goes, so the teacher takes like a wrench and he goes full like teenage Toretto on him and just (laughs) beating him with the wrench, you know? But the big kid is like too big. So he's like blocking everything with his arms and they get like underneath the car lift. They're sort of like under that lift and the girl gets behind the wheel of one of the cars in the shop and drives it into the fat kid. The teacher like jumps out of the way and the crash kills the girl too or something. She's in the car bleeding to death. (laughs) <laughs> pretty sure that's that's how they all go out. It's really like rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, it's quick and it's like, oh my god, like this guy, like you knew he might have had this in him, but you just didn't know how far he would go here, you know, wow. And, and then the last guy, uh, what's it called, Peter, has the most dramatic death of them all, I would say. It's so like, it's such... At this point, it's built up so much like it feels almost like a superhero face-off at that point. To yeah, me. you know, like it's so like like it's so heightened. The teacher has like fought his way like through hell to get the princess, aka his wife, back. You know, like that's what it feels like. And and then like I don't know what this kid is. I don't know what he's ever really thinking, but especially at this moment, there's no getting away with anything. Like the the proof is like he kidnaps the teacher's wife and is like holding her with the knife on the roof. So like, even if 
what's the kid has to kill both of them to get away. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's yeah. it's, it's this such a point of no return. There's such a commitment. It's amazing how committed this kid is to ruining this teacher's life. Yeah, no, it's just like because that kid just never loses in that environment, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean well, well, he does. I mean, in the end, like, he does. But like, that's the thing. Like the the teacher, there's even that little thing at the end. It's so it's so funny when the they. I just really wish they didn't have that little piece of text pop up at the end. Uh, I mean, we'll get to how. He, I mean, he ultimately kills the last kid. Like the kid, yes, knifes the wife, like cuts her across like the neck, like the chest, and then the teacher like tackles him, and he crashes through like the window at the top of the window, like in the in the uh, roof window, mm-hmm. uh, and like falls falls through the window and like gets tangled in the ropes and and is hanged over the orchestra as they're as they're playing in the gymnasium. Wow. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, like I know. Opera. It's like, yeah, re- really, really, it becomes so operatic. What, what an ending, essentially, you know. <laughs> like, and then there was a little title card that said, you know, Mr. Harris will not be prosecuted because no one saw anything or something. <laughs> and it's like, dude, his wife is alive. Like, she will testify. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to get off anyway. <laughs> like, I wish the title card wasn't even there at the end. But <laughs> yeah, such a weird title card. So I think a weird it, it, it had card. to bookmark the opening title card, which was like way long. Did you catch that? Yeah, that was a weird one. I, I actually took a picture of it, so I'm, I'll read it now. Okay, this is how the movie opens. Class of 1984. Last year, there were 280,000 incidents of violence by students against teachers and their classmates in American high schools. Unfortunately, this film is based on true events. Fortunately, very few schools are like Lincoln High, dot, 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 yet. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. That always, <laughs> you know, those those things always kind of set the mood. And I don't know if that does it great. I don't know. I don't know if that holds up necessarily. But thankfully, it doesn't hurt the movie at all. But I just wish this one at the end wasn't there. Because it kind of, you go out on a note. Where it's just like what, <laughs> like, like that seems a little unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who no, because he wasn't prosecuted. Like, yeah, you didn't need that. Like the final image is fine. I mean, not not fine, but you no, know, like it's imp- yeah. it's Im- yeah, he wins. It's impactful. Like you don't need that. I was like what? I laughed, but like I didn't <laughs> think I needed to laugh there. You know, like, I mean, maybe that was a thing. Maybe just like it's such, it's like fifteen minutes of nonstop shock. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> he's killing teenagers, like, one by one. <laughs> and, the, and the final one is hanging by his neck in front of the entire school, basically, at the end of the movie. Like, you don't really want to go out without, like, something to lift you up, I think. You know, as great as this movie is, like, that is a real tough ending yeah yeah but uh, no one i didn't like that kid you know <laughs> no no i'm not saying it shouldn't have happened like i'm just saying uh, you know the type of movie it is like it's just a heavy film at the end there like it you know what i'm like he doesn't walk off into the sunset but that's fine you know to me that's fine because it's like he won but he's never gonna be the same again his wife was just raped yeah. you know <laughs> it, yeah it's more of like a horror movie ending you know like for sure you, you survive but you've you know did you really? What did you? <laughs> what are you living now? Oh, like, what man. kind of life can you put put together? So, any other any other things in your notes that you wanted to mention? Um, I mean, there's not. Look, it's a short movie. Not much. 
happens. I mean, a lot happens, but... <laughs> I almost feel like there's some stuff cut out. Roddy McDowell eventually dies. Um, yeah, in the J- car thing. Michael J. Fox is shanked at lunch. Oh, we didn't even mention that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not really much more to mention. but Well, there's like a misunderstanding. Like the, They think that he's going to rat them out. Um, and they see him talking to a detective, but it's about something completely different, and they <laughs> they shank him anyway. Yep. <laughs> oh, poor pudgy young, but a lot older than we thought he was. Michael J. Fox. Just <laughs> oh man, and then you know, then he's in the hospital. So you're right; he is like the third lead in this. And I, and I keep saying the J, just Michael Fox here. I know that's so. Yeah, like the whole you know before you were famous. <laughs> I see it a little more with like writers and directors than you do with actors, but uh, that's always interesting. Always like alt- alternate billings of of uh, of actors and stuff is really cool. Yeah. Um, the club they go to, the Crash Club, uh, I think that it kind of like invokes a little like CBGBs, which I never went to in high school. I didn't go to I, after high school. I went there like two or three times, which is like a, just an incredibly cramped. It's like an it's like a hallway, like basically is what I remember. It's it a shoe like, store now. Is it really? Oh my god! Yeah, if you if you listen to our Amos Poe episode on P.S. I love. Oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about it because obviously he's you know big guy who filmed in CBGB and all those stars there and definitely like uh, like that's that's where this movie was interesting to me because it's not like that type of film but it's definitely a film from that era where i know uh, high school probably didn't look that bad but they were pretty damn close <laughs> some yeah. of them like in the inner cities yeah yeah i mean i know like just really i grew up not to i mean my dad grew up in patterson but that was just you know in the 50s when it was it was quote unquote safe but i mean growing up when i did in the 90s like you know you we would sneak into patterson to buy booze and stuff but like you did not you know we always heard like pretty bad stories about the schools there and stuff like that so like it's not that this was out of the realm of reality you know what i'm saying like i really do feel like in some places it it was getting this bad like there's this great movie not great might be pushing it but there's this sam jackson movie called 187 and that's sort of like a higher learning where he tries to reform like a bunch of kids but he ends Mm -hmm. up going sort of death wish on them and stuff and uh that's a lot like this as well where it's just it's it's in the except it's the 90s and it just plays way realistic with like the gangbangers and the stuff like that in LA and stuff. So I don't know. I, I don't feel like it, you know, I feel like it got, or it is kind of close, like as, as exploitive and crazy and sort of pumped up it is. I don't feel like it's that far from reality. No. And that, and that's what makes it kind of awesome. You know, it's like, it, yeah. it's, it, it's crazy, but grounded crazy. If that makes any sense. If you've seen the movie, it makes sense, you know, <laughs> So, yeah, so we used to go to Roseland Ballroom a lot, though, which I don't think is there either now. But that was our place, I guess. That's where we used to go and see, like, all the punk bands and stuff like Bad Religion and Green Day and stuff like that. We'd always been Nirvana. Saw Nirvana there. That was a great show. But Oh, really? Uh, wow, that's cool. I mean, it's funny, though, because, like, you would go to Roseland and it's, like, a bunch of 15-year, 16-year-old kids on the floor and then all their moms are in the back waiting for the show to end. You know what I'm saying? Like, their moms, like, our <laughs> moms so would funny. drive us and stuff because we were 15. And, um, yeah. 
and so it's funny. I mean, my mom was telling me like the other day how she would just like sit back there and like talk to other parents about <laughs> shows that they've been to and everything. So that's so crazy. So you said you said you saw Green Day. Those are the ones who did the well, Broadway they op- show. Right? They opened for Bad Religion when we saw oh, really? the, rest, the recipe for hate <laughs> tour. So I guess it was before Dookie came out, and like we were like, I don't know who these guys are, but they're they they're awesome. So um, then ended up seeing them a couple times. But I remember, I don't know, like not a. I remember seeing Rancid, not at Roseland, but I didn't really get to see a lot of punk bands. I mostly went to a lot of like Primus concerts back in the '90s. I was a big fan of them. <laughs> That's weird for being a punk, but like liking Primus. They were sort of like the one holdover from my rock phase in jun in like junior high when I was like into like Zeppelin and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of a music oriented ones here, so I'm so excited to get that one track out. Like it's crazy how few <laughs> people have ever heard that song. <laughs> well, yeah. If anything, if if high school slumber party is, is going to be your resurgence. Or I should say My Five Dads Resurgence. It's the weirdest, like, internet release sort of gimmick ever. Is like, we're going to release <laughs> a song at a time, but in a podcast, months apart. So it's topical. After like, after, like, a year and a half, you can collect the whole EP. Yeah, I mean, look, if it, bring, if it brings the old My Five Dads fan boys and girls into... Becoming high school slumber party fans, we both win. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could have our reunion at the Masonic <laughs> Temple. <laughs> oh, man. That was like another place. There was a Masonic Temple in Ridgewood, and like somehow this one punk was able to rent it out like a lot and put on like really good shows there for like a really long time. It was like two years of constant, just like where are these fucking bands coming from? They're just punk bands from like all over New Jersey and New York and shit. Um, so that was awesome. That was brief, but awesome. No, but that was always cool. Like going to like shows at like, there was like a Knights of Columbus. I mm-hmm. went to a couple times or, or like just like church rec rooms and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd play where you could basically when <laughs> you're a teenager. I mean, you're not really not going to get paid anyway. So who cares like where you are as long as you can play. <laughs> Well, good stuff there. One thing, though, before I let you go or, or you plug anything, I need to thank you because you are the most loyal student so far because <laughs> you you have reached out to John Cusack and asked him not to block me. I did the homework assignment. <laughs> you did the homework assignment. Did it work? I'm gonna. I keep checking Twitter, so I'm gonna check Twitter right now, live, kind of on the air. John, as of this recording, as of this recording right now, I am still blocked by John Cusack. (laughs) The embargo continues. Do you want to read my text? I mean, my my tweet. Do you want to read the tweet out or? Because it's sort of like the template, I think. Uh, sure. I, I retweeted it. Let me find it. Here we go. I found it. <clears throat> so your Twitter handle, of course, at the underscore Mikester. <clears throat> at John Cusack. Is there a chance you could unblock my friend at High School Slumber Party? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> I think he got mistaken as a bot, but he's really an actual person and a big fan. I tried, Brian, an explanation point. I mean, in uh, parentheses. Thank you. If more people did this homework assignment, maybe John Cusack would 
follow, or maybe they'd get blocked too. I get why people are nervous. Well, I was a little nervous, but I figured I've been following him for this long. Like, I don't care if I get blocked at this point. I mean, I don't... <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, like, there are people... It's crazy. Like, there are people on his feed that engage him like actively and hostile like with hostile intent like engage like they're very hostile towards him for like (laughs) for like you know marching for people's rights and stuff like people are at him man and i'm just like holy shit like yeah but that high school slumber party was not that i know that's what i don't get (laughs) i think he's i don't know what it is man and he did a purge of like his followers like anything that didn't look like a person i guess you know with like a proper whatever picture like got the axe or he's just pissed off at better off dead i mean dude that could also be like i, I don't understand like, <laughs> like where like what type of place you're in where it just like you even see those words written down somewhere you're just like block 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 like i'm just blo- <laughs> blocking that from existence like, oh it's my almost God. like I a Black Mirror episode. Like, did you watch Black Mirror? Like, there was the John Hamm episode. Did you see that one? Like, I didn't see the John Hamm episode. The Christmas episode. Yes. There's stuff about, like, blocking people from, like, your actual life in that. So, oh, I did see I did see that one, yeah. You're, like, walking around and the person is just, like, a shadow or something. Like yeah, I did see that one. I feel like... It was on the first ones ever, so... I feel like John Cusack does that to, like, certain movies of his, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, again, like, like again, someone said, like, he thinks his career began at Say Anything. But no, Better Off Dead. And check out that episode again if you haven't heard it. I wonder if... Man, maybe in a little while I'll do, like, a test tweet where i like, you know, really put it on the line and be like, I started <laughs> following you because my favorite movie is Better Off Dead... You're one of my favorite actors. If you block me, <laughs> you're a terrible person. No, no, I won't write that, but I'll be like, no, please don't block me just for liking a movie you don't like. <laughs> I mean, you could. I'd be curious. I'd be that would curious. be great if he was like, you know what, Mike? Blocked. And like, <laughs> me, like, DM'd me and was like, you're going down. Like, I'm reporting you to Twitter. So, Mike Manzi, where can people follow you? What's new in your podcasting life? All that jazz. Promote yourself. Okay, so you can check out my show, Third Time's a Charm, um, cageclub.me. I'm also on Cage Club, Keanu Club, Watch the Throne, which is still going. We're getting to the end. It's been a <laughs> been been quite a journey. <laughs> I look, I love Charlize Theron. I think she's a great actor. It's just some of these movies have been it's been a test. Yeah, as they've come along I've been like, "Oh, she was in that?" or "Oh, okay." <laughs> so like for the past like couple months it's been like, "What? Like what's this movie? Like why haven't I ever heard of this movie?" And then I watch the movie and I'm just like, "No, oh, man." <laughs> not only, I mean, I, I, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm taking it up a level, but it's like now I know why I haven't heard of some of those movies. It's like <laughs> some of them are rough. Like she's great. She's a great actor. She really like deserves. I mean, I'm so glad for what's coming up. Like we're really going to end that show, that series, very strong with with like you know her more recent work is just like really good stuff so looking looking forward to that okay so my july episode of third times a charm is jurassic park 3 
So check out that episode. It's got Kara and Tobin on it. So I mean, if you know, nice. if you're familiar with the network, they're on. Uh, Tobin is on Contenders with his sister, and Kara is on Wistful Thinking with Jordan. So yeah, so two great guests from two great shows are gonna be on my show, and uh, that's a fun one. And everyone loves Jurassic Park. That's kind of going right out in time for the new movie too. So you could yeah, I was uh, gonna say perfect timing. Yeah, check that out. That was a nice coincidence. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that show is gonna be chugging along. Now, I just want to say, you know, if you're wait, if you're just like, why can't Third Times a Charm be twice a month or weekly? I mean, at this point, it's because I'm reading these novelizations, <laughs> <laughs> which has become a very integral part of the show. Yeah, like at this point, yeah, that it's why it's kind of one of the reasons like I really went full on and was like I'm doing this show is because I found these novelizations <laughs> but like it takes me you know four or five days to read one of those things or something understandable and it might not be four or five days in a row you know they could be spread out like over two weeks or something like that. <laughs> uh, so like it takes some time to make that show so I appreciate your patience when it comes to that so before before I let you go we actually forgot to do one thing here oh we forgot to rate Class of 1984. Okay. So I do it on a scale of 1 to 5, and we pick a different thing every week. A different object to rate it on. Oh, man. Hmm. What's the object from this movie? I don't know. We usually I usually come up with with it with a guess. So what should it be from this movie? Um, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of things, I can think yeah. of. Yeah. Um, do you know what Liberty Spikes are? So like yeah, like it's, it's like, like the, the like the Statue of Liberty. Cat. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I could give it like four Liberty spikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't okay. Know. I don't know. So is that what you're giving it? Four Liberty spikes? Yeah, yeah. I think out of five. Are we at a five or, or your what's your scale to ten? Yeah, out of five. No, okay. out of five. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just think um, where I'm at now and where we are sort of in the news and society and stuff like that. This movie is. Um, a little vulgar at times to me. Just it comes across like it might push it a little too far. Just from just for my taste today in 2018. But I still love this movie. Like I love so much about. I love Roddy McDowell. <laughs> I love Teenage Head. Like I love the song. I ain't got no sense. I I love. I think there's some really great performances. I think the kids are great, and I think the message. You know, ultimately, it's the message that matters, and I think it's a very powerful message, and it's a tough movie. It's going to be, you know, I don't think it's for everybody, but I think it's really well made, and I think it should be seen. So, you know, if you're out there and you're curious, definitely check this one out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I agree with all your points there. I'm going to give it a, how about a three and a third Liberty Spike, you know, like, three spikes and a third spike that's a little bit shorter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that look as a haircut, but nice. Basically, you know, for all the same reasons you said, I actually enjoyed this movie, but I can't give it um a higher score because of just its natural exploitative nature. Uh the violent Trust me, the violence is cool, but it it's not a 5. Still a good movie. Definitely see it. I know specific people who I would recommend this film to, you know, and some people who wouldn't like it. So, class of 1984, three and three quarters, or three quarters, no, no, three and a third Liberty Spikes. Just a little bit more. I don't know if you'd place it on the front like a horn, but 
three and three thirds. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a little different when you're killing kids, you know, like juveniles, than when you're, you know, facing off against like a Jason or a Freddy or something. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it definitely takes a turn and tries to do something more. But in doing that, I'm not quite sure if it crossed a line or not. Oh yeah, like I said, there are certain people who I know are going to love this film. Like, I'm definitely recommending it to some people. But, you know, probably not recommending it to my mother. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? But you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's a total... Again, at the end of the day, it's a total genre, like, exploitation, grindhouse type. Like, that's just how it plays. Whether it was intended to be or not, that's what it is. And so, that's, you know... I think it's got more value, but ultimately, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a punk film. It's, you know... Yeah, that's a good way to put it, a punk film, because not everyone's into punk. If everyone's into punk, it wouldn't be punk. Well, Mike Manzi, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Always great having you aboard. Oh, is it time to go to bed already? Yeah, time to go to bed. Uh, I've been asking this a lot on the slumber party lately. What sleeping bag are you bringing? Oh, let's see. I think... To this one, I've got my Ninja Turtle one. Popular choice. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone goes with the turtles. (laughs) Awesome. So once again, Mike, just really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, Mike Manzi. Always great to have him on. The man, the myth, the legend. And you know what? The model student. Because this is the guy who actually tweeted at John Cusack and did the homework assignment and at least tried to lift the high school slumber party, John Cusack embargo. That's still your homework assignment for next week. Don't forget. It was also pretty cool to get a drop, the single, if you will, or just a track. I don't know what he wants to call it, but from his old high school band, My Five Dads. That's awesome. I like. I don't know. Guys, give us your feedback. Let us know what you think of My Five Dads and their one-minute kind of fast garage punk song. I loved it. We're going we're gonna to be releasing this as a segment, you know? Like I mentioned in the episode, when Mike's on again, you might get another song, you might not, but hopefully, cross our fingers. By the way, next week, big, big movie. The Breakfast Club. I couldn't wait any longer. I mean, you've probably all seen it, but here's a trailer. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. 
The Breakfast Club. Kind of a weird trailer there. I don't know. I think it's weird because it, you don't hear the Simple Mind song, don't you, parentheses, forget about me, and everything, anytime anyone cites The Breakfast Club, that automatically comes into my head, and I feel like it's used every time, and it's used a lot in the film. It's a cool song, so I don't mind. Oh, but I'm so excited to talk about The Breakfast Club. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! I'm so <laughs> scared! And my guest next week will be Kara Gale O'Regan from Wistful Thinking on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Very excited to talk to her as well, and this is... It's going to be an awesome episode. You definitely want to tune in. Speaking of the Cage Club Podcast Network... You can find this show on cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Log on to cageclub.me because there's so many other great shows. I'm telling you, the content just keeps getting better and better. I feel like the network's really hitting its stride, so definitely check it out. So today I'll leave you with, how about Teenage Head? They're the band that's featured in the film, so Teenage Head, what's the song called? Ain't Got No Sense. Later, dudes.